Number one, the 14-year-old girl can receive testosterone injections without parental consent on the sole basis of her own consent. And number two, if either of her parents refer to her using female pronouns or address her by her birth name, they would be considered guilty of family violence. Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Jeremiah Keenan. Jeremiah is a pro-life activist and freelance writer. He recently graduated from the University of Pennsylvania, where he argued with leftists and wrote for the Daily Pennsylvanian. He also earned a bachelor's in mathematics and assisted at the sociology department researching religious opinion trends on eugenics, race, birth control, and homosexuality. Jeremiah grew up in China and currently lives in Texas. And uh, Jeremiah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. So, you know, you've been writing a series of articles uh, for The Federalist, and I would encourage people to uh, to look these up, about a guy, a dad, really, in British, uh, uh, British uh, Columbia, Vancouver, and right. about his teenage daughter who is basically going through the transition from being his daughter to his son and and what he's had to deal with, with the government up there, with the schools doing what they're doing. I mean, what's going on right. there should should really worry every parent, shouldn't it? It's quite a concerning case. So just as a, the most recent update is that he's currently in jail um, because of speaking out about his case. But the case goes back about two years to when his daughter, really three, three or four years, when his daughter was 12 or 13 years old, and she was in school. And in the school, they kind of encouraged her to transition socially from being a girl to being a boy. So, like, the school counselor had a you know, meeting with her, helped her pick out a new name, a boy's name. And the school started to treat her in its documents and in general as uh, a boy. And they carefully decided not to tell uh, her father that they were doing this. Um, now, the girl, we'll call her Maxine, uh, her real name, uh, we don't want to share because right. she's a minor, sure. but um, so we'll call her Maxine, it's a pseudonym. So Maxine, at the time, she was about 12 years old, and it's, you know, months after the school starts treating her as a boy that her father sees in the yearbook a new name for his daughter, right? <laughs> And it was at that point that she told him, yeah, at school they're treating me as a boy. And at first he didn't really know what to make of it because he, he wasn't following the news. He was generally kind of apolitical for the most part. Um, and he just thought, okay, this is some sort of new trend or something, uh, and I guess I should go along with it. But a little while later, uh, the school recommends a particular doctor uh, named Dr. Wallace Wong. Um, and he specializes in kind of getting kids onto testosterone or cross-sex hormones in general. Um, he, he's like a gender therapy specialist. That's how he markets himself. Right. In any case, Dr. Wallace Wong suggests, yeah, how about we put her on testosterone when she was 13 years old? And it was at that point that Robert Hoogland, the father, uh, he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not really going to accept uh, the testosterone. It was after they had, uh, Wallace Wong had got a reference for her, and then there had been a second reference, and she was at the children's hospital. And uh, Robert Hoogland's ex-wife, Maxine's mother, called and said, oh, they're about to inject her with testosterone. Are you okay with that? And 
uh, Rob was like, no, um, <laughs> that's, that's, at that point, he's like, something is wrong here. We're, we're injecting my 13-year-old daughter with high-dosage testosterone, and, you know, that's going to kind of ruin her health permanently, um, right. probably render her sterile. And, and you know, definitely, you know, it's, you, the effects are irreversible. Her voice is now deepened. She's starting to grow some facial hair. That doesn't go away. Um, right. I mean, basically, they're chemically castrating her. Yes. Exactly. Right. This yeah. is, so this is, you know, really impactful stuff. And so he was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to take that. That's, she can wait if she's 18 and she still wants it. She can do that, but not when she's 13 years old. So the doctors responded and said, well, under the BC Infants Act, we can do it whether you want it or not. So they're saying they can do it on the sole basis of the child's consent um, and the doctor's recommendation. And well, so and, and reading your and, and reading your articles too, uh, not to cut off, but you know, he he even admits his daughter had some some issues, right? She wasn't, you know, thinking clearly on a, on a lot of fronts, and so they went ahead and took uh, a teenage daughter, preteen maybe, I was she twelve or thirteen at the time. Uh, her yeah. her opinion, while she was already having emotional issues anyway. Right, right. So she was having, um, ever since uh, her parents divorced, uh, she started having some behavioral problems at school. Um, she was having problems with uh, sort of general, just kind of rowdy behavior, but then also with having kind of an excessive interest in male teachers mm-hmm. um, at the time. Then, of course, obviously she was <laughs> rejected. They were, they're, you know, grown ups and, and she was right. like 12 years old. So that, you know, it was inappropriate. Um, so she was having those kinds of, she was having pretty severe psychological problems and also struggling with, with some depression and, and generally having issues um, before that. And that was part of why her father kind of, he figured that this was, this was not, uh, you know, testosterone was not the solution. Right. <laughs> right. To, to the problem. Um, and, you know, you kind of can figure that out whether or not the child is struggling psychologically because it's going to ruin her physical health on, on some level. Um, but yeah, she was, she was definitely kind of struggling going through different phases. Apparently she had a phase when she thought she was lesbian. Um, and then that phase kind of passed and then she got into this thing where she thought she was trans. Um, and the thing is when she got into the trans phase, the institution took over. Right. The school took over at that point. Right. Because she goes and she tells the school, oh, I think I'm trans. And the council's like, oh, really? All right. Let's get a new name for you. Let's, you know, sort of reassign your gender in every way that we can uh, through the school system. And let's make sure your dad doesn't hear about it because we know he might be a little bit not supportive. Right. And eventually mom mom became supportive of this, right? She was She was okay with it. So Rob is really the only one defending his daughter. Right, right. Uh, so it ends up in court, and by the time it ends up in, in the B.C. Supreme Court, she's 14 years old. And this was in, I believe, March of 2019. Or it was late February of 2019. Right. So late February of 2019, uh, Justice Bowden of the B.C. Supreme Court issues a ruling. And in that ruling, he says, number one, the 14-year-old girl can receive testosterone injections without parental consent, on the sole basis of her own consent. And number two, if either of her parents refer to her using female pronouns or address her by her birth name, they would be considered guilty of family violence. Um, 
Yeah, and you even wrote so, in, one, in one of your articles, you, you say, you know, attempting to persuade Maxine to abandon treatment for gender dysphoria, addressing Maxine by uh, the birth name and referring to her as a girl, ended up putting him in jail. Was that was that the interview he did with you? Because at one point he did an interview with you, correct? Yeah, so he did an interview with me in which, you know, he knew this ruling, right? The ruling came out. And right. the night of the ruling, he did an interview with me, and I, I was asking him, I realize you're referring to your daughter as a girl, um, and I'm going to publish this. Is that okay? And he said, basically, he had to take a stand at that point. He's like, she is a girl, you know, that, and that's a fact. And, and he, couldn't, he couldn't sort of enter into an alternate reality where she somehow was not a girl uh, and then lie about it or just try to avoid the issue. Um, and for that interview, for that interview, as well as a few others, um, that interview was actually cited, I believe, in the court documents, but it was also a couple others inter- right. interviews right. and also his private interaction because privately with his daughter, he could never really bring himself to, like, affirm her gender transition. Even if he tried to avoid the issue, he wasn't willing to, like, actively lie to her and say that she's a boy. Right. Um, and so because of the combination of all that, yes, uh, subsequently – uh, a few months later, he was convicted of family violence for that. Yeah, reason. so yeah, I mean, so you you have a dad who his his parental consent has been taken away, his right to free speech, especially to preach to to uh, speak the truth has been taken away. I mean, at one point, I and I remember, I don't know if it was in an article or the interview I saw on YouTube, he was talking about the only thing he was allowed to do was to think it, but. And the courts actually said this, right? Something to the effect that you can think it, but you better not say it kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure they specifically said that he, he could think it, but they yeah, they did not regulate his thoughts, um, which was, I guess, kind of them in a sense. But uh, <laughs> he could not, yeah, he could not say to anyone early, early on, he was not allowed to say to anyone anywhere. Uh, he could not whisper in the dark. Um, if, if a third party heard it, right, uh, he, he could be considered guilty of, of family violence. And in fact, not just that, but there was a protection order issued against him saying he, he would be subject to immediate arrest without warrant if anybody heard him referring to his daughter as a girl or with female pronouns. Well, and if somebody, if people listening, you know, think this is this is an isolated incident or this could never happen again, I mean, this is in a civilized society, you know, Vancouver, British Columbia, not too far from the United States, and we can see the thought process of supposedly intelligent people on a court telling a dad you have to deny reality, you lose the ability to decide, make any kind of major decisions for your daughter, and any of us who have had teenagers, or and we were all teenagers at one point, Think about some of the stupid things we did and said as teenagers. If we'd have been able to do whatever we want without any parental consent, heck, I'd have probably ended up in jail or dead. Uh, yeah, well, this is certainly a case where I think you'd expect the parent to, to step in, right? Remember, at 14, you can't get a tattoo without parental consent. Right, um, right. And, you the, know, you the, follow... The yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're a pro-life activist, and sometimes people say, well, how does this involve? Well, you're chemically castrating young people, girls, boys, so that they will never be able to have children. I mean, she will never be able to have a child. Uh, and, you know, if you read a lot of the literature, right, we're, we're seeing today that, 
you know, uh, Ryan Anderson's book, Abigail Schreier's book on these issues have been pulled from Amazon and from, you know, we got, you know, media censorship going on. But the bottom line is they have interviewed people that have transitioned. And when I look at these and I read them and I've, and I've talked to, you know, interviewed people who have gone through this, they say, I wish somebody would have told me the truth. And that's kind of Rob's point, isn't it? Essentially, yes. Um, now, he doesn't have the opportunity anymore to, to tell his daughter the truth. It's it's almost even worse than some of the yeah. things I've written in, in the sense that, you know, now now that he took this stand, originally he had 50-50 custody of his daughter. He was not he was not a weekend dad. She she went to his house after right. school. Right. Uh, right. Uh, so he had 50-50 custody and, and, you know, a pretty close relationship with her. But when the court stepped in and made this kind of decision, and when all these other adults stepped in and started saying, oh, yeah, your dad's a villain, you know, because he doesn't affirm you and all this kind of stuff, he's now largely lost contact with his daughter. Um, and the courts, I think, have actually reassigned custody to some extent. Um, but he hasn't really gotten to see her in quite some time. And um, even if he can, he can't tell her the truth, right? He has to, he has to play along with this, this dysphoria. Um, and so... You know, you're not you're not a parent at that point. When you're buying into a, uh, a a flat out lie, then you're not being the parent we're called to be. So, I mean, he really puts him between a rock and a hard place. Yes, yes, definitely. And stuck there, he essentially said, "Well, you know what? Um, maybe I've lost my daughter at this point, and maybe I can't get her back right now." Though he believes that she's going to detransition in a few years, and then. When that happens, you know that they'll be able to re- reestablish a relationship. In any case, when she's she's an adult, but um, he's decided that even if he can't stop it right now, even even if he lost that battle, which I think he probably shouldn't have lost, but unfortunately, there just I guess wasn't enough support, wasn't enough backing. Um, he's at least going to speak out so that other parents don't live the same nightmare, um, and that has cost him deeply. Right? He's spent the last couple of days sitting in jail for that. Yeah. Yeah, I knew he, I knew he's back in jail recently, but you know, the bottom line is that's why I think people listening to this, they need to understand what's going on that's outside of their control, what's going on in school, what's going on in the courts. People were electing, you know, here in the United States, we're you know, they're trying to pass the Equality Act. So, you know, I think what he's going through should be a flashing red light in every parent or grandparent's eyes because this could happen in the United States. Yes. Yes. I mean, you're in uh, Texas all- right now. There was that case uh, a year or two ago where a divorced couple, mom was actually a pediatrician, wanting to give, mm-hmm. they, I think they had uh, two boys and she wanted a girl and convinced one of the boys to be a girl. And they went to court and the court actually sided with mom until later when they received pressure and they kind of reversed it. So this kind of stuff is real and, and is an eminent threat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it's It's a necessary kind of, it's a necessary result of certain LGBT dogma, right? If, if you really believe that uh, some little boys are actually little girls born in a boy's body somehow, like if you really believe that or if you really believe that gender is purely a social construct, uh, there are two ways you can arrive at the trans conclusion. <laughs> They're contradictory, but that doesn't generally bother people apparently. No. Uh, but if you really believe that, If you really believe that, then, of course, you have to impose, socially impose, 
this kind of transgender, uh, you know, transition, this kind of transition on children from the outside, right? Now, the problem is when you look at the science, the vast majority of these children who, even the ones who have kind of severe gender identity disorder, who, who mm-hmm. really do kind of feel like they wish they were born uh, a girl when they are a boy or wish they were born, born a boy when they are a girl, even kids who have that, uh, typically, if you just let them go through puberty naturally, in you know about 80% of the time, they'll accept their their uh, biological gender, um, and and they'll be okay with it. But if you go in and you have these puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and everything else, you know, think about Maxine, Robert Hoogland's daughter. She's yeah. never really going to be able to live a normal life uh, in many respects. No, it's been ro- it's been and stolen from really. her. Exactly. Um, and so you know it's. It's a concerning. It's a concerning case. Will it happen in the United States? Pretty much, that just depends on how much effort people make. Um, right. Even with Jeff Younger's case, right? It was it was ruled one way, and then there was a massive public massive public outcry. Powerful politicians started to speak out about it, uh, right. like Ted Cruz and stuff. Yep. And then, bang, the rulings reversed. <laughs> well, now, but in a state like on. but in a state like California, you might not have had that backlash. Or even here mm-hmm. in Colorado, where where unfortunately we have uh, you know laws prohibiting you know counseling of people that are struggling with this for children under eighteen. So you know they lump everything into this uh, you know category of trying to counsel people uh, to help them identify as who they are, and you outlaw the truth. And so you know you mentioned uh, the doctor, Doctor Wong. You know, you also mentioned in your article that I thought was uh, very telling that he has a client who's not yet three yet, and 501 of his clients are foster kids. Right, right. Yeah, we were really interested in that. That looks like it's about between 10 and 20% of all the foster kids. That's a pretty conservative estimate, between 10 and 20% of all the foster kids in his area are in his practice. Yeah, I mean, that is, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're basically telling, telling dad, one, you have to, I mean, what, what they're telling him to do is really child abuse and chemically castrating his daughter, yet making him the villain. This is, uh, you know, the screw tape letters come to life here in, in 2021. Um, Yeah, well, it's, it's the ideology, right? Yeah. If you, if you really believe, if you really believe that Maxine, that this girl is actually a boy in a girl's body, uh, you know, then I guess this is the kind of conclusion that you're kind of going to come to, right? Uh, now, of course, in reality, there's a reason why there's a gag order on Robert Hoogland. Like, who would care? Like, who cares if he wants to speak out? Right. Except that actually everybody knows that his daughter is a girl in reality. Right. right. That's why they need the gag order. There's a reason why they need to put the man in jail. Um <laughs> you know, because in reality, they know the kinds of things that would happen, just like what happened with Jeff Younger, right? Jeff Younger, he, from from early on in that case, he would put up pictures of his, his son, James, right, so that people could mm-hmm. sympathize right. with him and, and right. put his own name and face up there. And, you know, he'd talk to the media and everything. And so they weren't able to, well, they didn't end up being able to, kind of squelch him in the same way. But the idea with uh, with Robert Hoogland in Canada is they really want to squelch him. They just want to get him to shut up and get out of the, the thing. Because not only is his speaking out causing problems for them 
in the specific case, but he's also, it was starting to kind of, dirt was starting to come up on Dr. Wallace Wong um, as well, like we were mentioning, that he has this such a young child. He was also in a talk when he was basically saying, he was hinting to parents. A parent was like, well, how can I get my kid into your practice? And he was basically saying, well, you know, if your kid threatens suicide, just pull a stunt. Pretend, pretend that they're suicidal uh, mm-hmm. because of their gender dysphoria, and that'll get, me, that'll get them into my practice, and from there, they'll get testosterone right? or whatever cross-sex hormone they want. Um, so, are the, yeah, I was going to say, are there any politicians, are there, is there anybody, you know, other than, you know, journalists like yourself that are doing interviews with him, sticking up for him? I mean, is he totally by himself on this up there in Canada? Um, well, there have been politicians uh, who have, I think, sort of had some contact with him. I think Derek Sloan, um, but I can't remember exactly. Uh, ultimately, though, they don't have the the political clout, as far as I can tell, to pull anything out, to pull anything off. Um, so the courts can do whatever to... they want, and no one no one stands up to them. And and Rob, who's trying to, you know, protect his daughter, love his daughter, is is the villain. Yeah, uh, essentially the courts are empowered by their interpretation of the Infants Act. If there was a political will to rewrite the Infants Act and make it clear that this is not what's going on, even though that's actually pretty clear if you look at the Infants Act, this is not what was in mind. But if there was the political will to rewrite the act and explicitly exclude these kinds of things, then, you know, they could do that. But the political will apparently does not exist. So how did you come across this story to begin with? Well, this was uh, several years ago. I was uh, researching some of this LGBT stuff, and I realized that this was going to happen because I knew the logic of the ideology would force this to happen, mm-hmm. where you would have a parent who didn't want to basically abuse their kid by giving them cross-sex hormones, but the LGBT lobby would want to do it, and they would make it happen. So. I had my eye out for a case like this for some time, and I was following kind of listservs and different things, and then something came up in my email, and I was like, okay, there it is. Uh, <laughs> and so I pursued the case very heavily um, way, way back, and this would have been probably at the end of, of uh, 2018 and early early 2019. Because uh, when I saw it, I was like, yeah, that's, that's something I knew was going to happen. Um, so that's how I got involved. Well, unfortunately, yeah, and unfortunately it did happen, but I think, you know, I think one thing to really show the intent of the LBGTQ activists who promote this transgender ideology is if his daughter, or actually when his daughter decides she really is female, they will drop her like a hot potato. They will actually make her uh, a villain in and of herself. We interviewed uh, Walter Heyer who was one of the first transgender individuals. And when he detransitioned, he went from the star to the villain. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so it's yeah, unfortunate. It's but they very, claim, they, yeah, but they claim to, right? I mean, from probably your studies, you see, they claim, right? They're, you know, they care about this individual. They want them to be able to express themselves, but only express themselves in a way that they agree with, because the minute you don't, then they don't want anything to do with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a lot of narcissistic false victimhood um, that's kind of created and projected. 
And then if someone like Walt Heyer comes along and says, look, there's a better way. I used to be miserable believing the lie that right. I could be a woman. And now I am so much happier and so much healthier and and so much better. If someone like that comes along, then it kind of shows up to some extent the false victimhood narrative. Um, it's like what Dr. Wallace Wong was talking about where you pull a stunt. That's his term, not mine. Pull a stunt. Right, right, right. Suicide. Pretend, right? Um, if somebody comes along and says, admits, yeah, that was that was the kind of thing that I was told to do. And you know what? Down the road, it just made me miserable anyway. It didn't get me. You know, I got testosterone or I, I got estrogen or whatever, but it didn't give me happiness. Um, those kinds of people naturally make uh, some of the kind of political operative types in the LGBT lobby furious, right? Because they're standing up against the lie, essentially. They're standing up against the, the lies necessary to be able to silence a man like Robert Hugend. Well, and they're they're trying very hard, and it's a, it's unfortunate that uh, you know parents nowadays you know are considered uh, disposable in in many different areas, and that the educators know best, and parents don't know best, and it's it's sad when you read a story like this and to think how can this happen? If somebody would have said this you know ten fifteen years ago, you said that's impossible, that could never happen. Yet it is happening and could happen in our area. How can people? follow this because you've written about seven or eight articles i forget how many uh you know kind of cr- uh doing a chronology of what's going on and following rob how can people follow what you're doing in the future because i'm sure you're not done yet um well i i plan to put another article up uh to publish another article with the federalist um probably next week i expect it'll come out okay uh, an update today they're supposed to be uh the judge is going to kind of reconsider whether or not to give Rob bail or to keep him in prison until his uh, sort of criminal contempt court case, which is going to be uh, next month in about the middle of April. So today we expect a decision on whether he gets to come out of jail, at least on bail for the next few weeks before being formally tried for criminal contempt of court. Um, And, uh, Monday of next week, maybe Monday or Tuesday, I hope we'll put up an article in The Federalist, a full update on how things are going. All right. Well, uh, Jeremiah, I really appreciate the work you're doing in bringing this out to people because people need to know what's going on. It's it's just not some theory. It's actually playing out in, in real life. So thanks. Thanks for bringing this up and really bringing, shining a light on this because if people like you weren't doing it, no one would know what's going on.